Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end I sometimes get guests on the show to talk about writing and their experiences about writing and making stories and doing books and all those kind of creative things. Sometimes I talk about listeners' first pages, they send them in and I give feedback on how they can make them better. Sometimes I talk about a topic related to publishing, writing, making stories, making books, and sometimes I just talk into the mic without really thinking about what I'm going to do or say before I do that. And that is what this episode is today. It's one of the writing ramble episodes. And the reason I've done quite a few in a row, normally I try and mix it up so I get some interviews. And then I get, you know, some episodes where I look at someone's first page or maybe I, you know, script an episode where I talk about something. And then maybe I I do, uh, you know, a couple of writing rambles just to spice it up in between. But I've been off on doing my book tour for a while, two weeks I was away, which is like half an Edinburgh festival, I realised, except when you go and do the Edinburgh festival, you get to stay in one place and just walk out every day and do your hour with a few gigs around it. But I was going all over the country from Wimborne, which it turns out everyone was like, where is Wimborne? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, But I knew that I was booked to do the Wimborne Literary Festival. It's north of Poole. So now you know, south coast-ish. Not actually on the coast, but a little bit up from the coast. Um, Kind of tickling the southwest of England. Um, but I also had an event at the I Write, that's A-Y-E, as in yes in Scottish, uh, festival, literary festival up in Glasgow. So I was kind of all over the place. And in fact, I had events. <laughs> I managed to book events in Manchester and Leeds, which you're right, are not too far apart. But then I, I, I booked a Norwich event between them. So I had to drive four and a half hours home do that event and then four and a half hours back which is fine anyway look that's not what this episode's about it's not going to be just a painstaking dismantling of the different routes i taught took but i wanted to record an episode because i've not been really uploading in a way that i used to uh, recently and i i care about the podcast i think like doing these events has made me been a reminder about why I care about doing this podcast and I wanted to record an episode partly just to to just shove a a kind of body into the breach really I I, there's I you know there's a there's a completely cynical get an upload out put it in front of people and hang quality but there is actually stuff I want to talk about and I'm sort of super conscious when I do one bit of feedback so this is gonna be a writing ramble episode if you haven't listened to the podcast before hi but here be dragons because i tend to be talking just off the cuff and so they are not the slickest most edited most well thought out episodes if you haven't listened to death of a thousand cuts before welcome but but what a time to join it would be great if you went back and um especially if you go on my soundcloud page it's just soundcloud.com forward slash tim clare I've like picked out a couple of episodes in in the sort of highlights bit that you can go and uh, that I thought might be quite good starting points. 
and if you just search for death of a thousand cuts there's sometimes some little like li I, I made some playlists as well so there's like a playlist of all the interviews there's a playlist of a couple of series and there's playlists of the writing boot camp and 100 day writing challenge i did if you want to look at something that's a bit more of like a course it was literally a course it's not like a course it doesn't that's a misuse of the art of simile it's an actual course but this episode and these ones are a bit more scrambly and rambly and, and, and some people get in touch and say tim i don't know why you spent the first 10 minutes of every episode apologizing for making the episode uh it's fine i like that type of episode now clearly that's a self-selecting group but i'm high if you are one of those people thank you for continually catering to my insecurities because so i've been off, off on tour and i've just had a book out in the last two weeks and it's like what am i giving to you now what do i come to the microphone and say look hi what 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 do you get out of, of turning up to the death of a thousand cuts podcast and listening to tim clare because sometimes i you know i get the impression that sometimes i i sort of say stuff in relation to editing that genuinely a lot of people haven't heard before and I clarify a couple of issues and I say hey you know when you're trying to make your sentences good and clearer here's a few kind of like algorithms that you can apply and um, you can put into place in your writing and once you know this this principle cut this kind of thing like sculpt a sentence in this way you can just you know they're almost like little principles of composition and there is a kind of clipped journalistic kind of approach sometimes with, with that but you can do this and it will just make yours your language flow a little bit better when you're writing in English and and, and th those are I can see why that's helpful because it's just something immediately applicable that you can just use to slightly but permanently improve your writing I think that's kind of useful sometimes I do some stuff that's kind of like adjacent to coaching where I'm turning up and going, hey, how are you? You're all right. And you are, of course. And that can be useful for other reasons because you can listen to it and kind of go, yeah, I am feeling a bit fed up or I was feeling a bit lost. And especially with the creative writing courses, I've been able to guide people towards essentially discovering that they're much better at writing than they realised and much more capable of writing than they realised because that's the thing is it's the actual executing on the desire to write versus the fear of messing it up or just discovering you're not as good and that, and that kind of pain right and then people do it because they're holding the magic feather of Tim Clare giving them some advice and then they kind of credit me with it which is always funny to me because it was it, I did almost nothing and and the power was within them all along as is so often the conclusion from uh, many a, a glorious quest narrative but you know that they discover that about themselves and that's always really nice and I can see those two things but what happens when I want to talk about something that may be sort of less intrinsically uplifting or useful do I not talk about it or do I talk about it and get it out and because it, it, it's not I'm not I've always tried to be sort of positive in, have I? Is that true? Probably not, actually. But in fact, I'm not sure that I've approached any of what I do on this podcast with any sense of a plan, a brand or a thought of how it's going to impact the audience. To be honest, I've just kind of done what I wanted. Like, I don't, I don't, 
I did a an event as part of this book tour. You know, you, you really kind of like so much of publishing. I sort of experience at a, a real distance, except when a book comes out, and then I'm kind of thrown into it. And it's um, it's a like just kind of criticizing publishing as an industry one i feel like it always comes off as sour grapes like it's very difficult for it not to come off as a kind of like self-serving exculpatory narrative right where someone's going this is why the game's rigged and this is all the flaws in publishing and and one if you're just saying this is a big shitty monolith that does a lot of things badly um it's not really clear what the action what the action that you're wanting someone to take what what do we do with that except sort of wallow in a feeling of sort of defeat and hopelessness it it's it's always just struck me as okay but what do we do what do we do with that because simply pointing out that publishing as a as a whole as an aggregate which again is like really just a concept like there are publishers there are people working within publishing there are booksellers um there's the media that report on books there's readers who have purchasing power there are libraries there's you know places like amazon and this kind of like online uh community around it there's social media and you know which I, I i i use to mean everything from twitter and facebook to like book talk and instagram uh but like what do we what are we supposed to do with that like it's just go there's this big monolith and it's does some things badly well okay but like what do i practically as a writer how do i or as a person who wants to do some writing what do i do with that do i just go okay it's gonna like the danger is always I feel that there can be a kind of fuzziness and an incompleteness to those kind of statements. The risk, the risk dissuading the people we most want to get writing books, right? Which are people who have traditionally been poorly served by the publishing industry. And I say traditionally, as if that's like in the times of yore, are continue to be. If that's anyone in any kind of marginalised community who has membership or partial membership of some kind of marginalised identity, whether it's, st- I mean, it's still it's still true of just women. So that's like fifty percent of the population already, which is out, which is fucking outrageous. That we're still so shitty at that, but that's also been, I mean, and, you know, there are always improvements, but that's still, the legacy of that, it still goes on when you've had decades and centuries, indeed, of women being poorly served by, you know, what we include in the literary canon and what we can, and the types of literature we think are worthy of serious criticism. That has, like, knock-on effects that don't just go away when you know when things get a bit start to get a bit better the the legacy of having previous authors not having been given the respect and readership and promotion and like support in their lives that they deserved has a knock-on effect to everyone writing since right and then the same is true like times x for 
like writers of color and lgbtq plus writers and you know you know the marginalizations but i'll go like go on i think you know there's still terrible ageism within writing in fact i think maybe ageism is getting worse than ever in the world of of writing that's something that i think it's go is going backwards maybe because a lot of the debates taking place are taking place between take place between young people and because ageism is probably the most socially acceptable ism that exists like because often especially when these di discussions and debates and discourse is taking place on online platforms where older people are less well represented their considerations are always going to be brought to the table least so i think that's true working class writers are still hugely discriminated against and have just like a bunch of i was going to say hurdles but hurdles is too small just fields yards and yards of razor wire and pits and snipers in conning towers shooting at them to make sure their books never even get onto the shelves let alone you know that they can forge a career out of it i mean heaven forbid so all of that is happening and the, the but the danger is if you just say that right we just go like it's a terrible shit show one there's uh, at some point people just sort of nod and go mm, yeah ain't it terrible you know ain't it awful and we and it and it becomes a sort of it, it can become like meaningless water cooler talk where we all nod and we just all take part in the ritual of ain't it awful ain't it awful that writing remains such an upper middle class pursuit ain't it awful that publishers invet and booksellers the shrinking number of sort of like there's so there's increasingly little competition within the the, the book selling world between booksellers the the, the 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 so much marketing budget just goes on people who are on tv people who have like big youtube channels like and everyone nods and goes yeah yeah and, and who are gen you know more often than, than not like white wealthy men um but it's easy to sort of and we talk about it and everyone sort of nods and goes yeah it's terrible yeah it's shitty and we retweet each other's tweets and blah 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 and and then everyone sort of feels like they've gone maybe they feel like they've gone and sort of paid lip service to these problems and, and maybe kind of got a little bit of sort of mutual recognition from other people who feel the same and maybe they we get a little bit of status from other artists of a sort of similar political persuasion isn't it terrible and then we just get on with our lives and and, and the danger is that by just emphasizing the shittiness of it you draw you drive away and disincentivize and disillusion disproportionately members of those communities or just anyone who wants to write right i 
fucking hate it how we talk about you've got to be oh my god i hate it and this is self-interest is talking here but this idea like i grew up i read so much about how to be a writer i got so many books out of the library on how to be a writer i read so many magazines and articles and listened to people talking about how do you be a writer and i heard over and over again this message you've got to be sort of thick-skinned you've got to be tough you've got to learn how to take rejection It's not, a, it, writing is not a, uh, a profession for the faint-hearted. Why not? Like, why do we just, why do we act as if writing is, and the publishing industry is just this fucking inherited, unchangeable set of truisms and conditions like it's like scaling an ancient mountain or taming the oceans like what bollocks i don't i don't like when you when you say and you push a narrative that writing isn't for the fake hearted you've got to be tough you've got to be thick-skinned like for a start like what i hear as a guy who's like struggled with like i am i can be you know sensitive i've you know i've had a lot of problems with anxiety and self-esteem and not thinking i'm a good person and and and, and like I, I, again i'm even stopping myself as i start because it like comes off as whinging but like or people say you shouldn't do it you know step back for like don't do it like it's not for you it's not for people who feel things deeply or struggle with these things it's not for people who maybe aren't writing stuff that not that isn't as obvious that people want to read it it's maybe not for you if you're not a celebrity like fucking the duchess of york right fergie has just they've just announced a 20 book deal that she's putting out right a 20 book romance deal she's just been signed up for it's got loads of attention i know about it because everyone in the fucking publishing industry is talking about it you know they might you know a bunch of them might be taking the piss but they still everyone feels like they've got to have a take on it this is the problem it's like the marvel universe movies right even if you fucking hate them you people feel like they've got to say something about it i follow so many science fiction and fantasy writers and like anything that's a franchise anything that's you know like star wars star trek marvel universe and and and, and dc comics right it doesn't matter if it's shitty or not they feel like they've got to have an opinion on it they feel like they've got to watch it and write a blog even if it's like racist and, and it's got terrible diversity even if the writing's dog shit oh no i've got to like write a piece on this and put it on my Substack. like i've got to engage with it as art and i've got to create a a noisy culture of discourse and critical engagement around it no matter how shit everyone's going to know about it because we've got to talk about it right but but we want diversity but we want to support new writers but we want this but but we, we won't do any of the things that would be consistent with believing that what we actually do is support huge franchises and then go oh, i love this and it's bullshit and it, and it's fucking bollocks and then we say to people oh you've got to be like thick-skinned to kind of go into this 
we've got to be sensitive. And, and excuse me for getting exercised about this. And of course, there is, a, you know, a, a, an element of self-interest in this as well. Of course there is. Like, we rarely argue with things that are massively against our self-interest. Uh, although that is part of the British character, right? The servile streak that tries to vote in absolute parasitic creeps. Uh, that, you know, there is a there is a huge strain of, of, of people who vote in parasites who uh, will make their lives actively worse and shut down schools and shut down hospitals. But in my case, like, I like to think I'm at, you know, arguing in, in, in my self-interest. But this, I hate, I would, like, I want to, I want to be honest with you. And I don't, I don't think I've ever said on this podcast, go into writing, put a book out, the publishing industry and the world and the capitalist system into which you will be playing will always reward effort and good intentions, will always reward quality. These people will look after you. They'll be great in their duty of care. They'll be compassionate throughout. You will have, you know, your expectations will be carefully managed. And... You will always see rewards commensurate to what you put in and and, and on what you commit. Because that's just not true. I mean, I should say, you know, with the release of money, but in case it seems like I'm subtweeting anything, I really think actually my publishers, in terms of sort of duty of care, in terms of checking in with me and going like, are you all right? Because the content of this book, you know, Coward, which is about anxiety and panic and there's lots of disclosure of sort of my own experiences of mental illness that actually got some really kind like looking after of me and checking in with me and advice about how to deal with live events where there might be vulnerable people I was sort of really I don't mean pleasantly surprised as if I had sort of super low expectations but I just thought oh you know, this is coming from people who've actually thought about this a bit. And, and and so I don't I want to be clear, I'm not talking about I'm not I'm not grumbling about my publishers in this in this case. Um and actually, you know, I've met so many people who work within the industry who are really working their socks off to try and push books to like they care about a lot of these books and the people who write them, but they care about the books that they're putting out. And and, and write, uh, publishing has got like like relatively small margins compared to a lot of other industries. And it's also a weird industry where people will, you know, editors and, and agents will fight for books they believe in that they don't necessarily think have got, you know, like an obvious massive commercial potential that they that they might kind of think on balance they will it might struggle to find a readership you know if all the stars aligned it might go sort of supernova because the book is brilliant and necessary but it might actually be that they think this is one's going to be hard to like for it to reach its audience like with a fair wind behind it maybe but the reason they want to push for it is because they want that book to exist 
and they care about what's in it. Like, so I, I want to be clear, like, I, I think actually there are lots of people within the industry who are like idealists and who do things that and make decisions that do not make if they were just thinking the kind of like hard nosed commercial business sense they wouldn't make and i think that is still true that is still true today like people have been saying that the sky is falling and the industry is collapsing i ever since i have ever engaged with anyone who works within publishing who works within writing the sky has been falling since you know like talking about the like collapse of the net book agreement in 1993 which sort of set prices for books across the board um that was the end of writing and and, and the fact is that writing is more open to working class writers than it was 30 years ago it's it's it, it, it's definitely more open to women and people of color like not in a not in a great way, not in a way that anyone should be like slapping themselves on the back and saying, well done. But those things like destroying writing as a career and it how open it is. I'm not saying that like a lot of the developments have all been, you know, unmitigated positives. But. People have sort of been loudly prophesying the publishing apocalypse all my life uh, for a variety of reasons and with a sort of variety of stimuli that are, are pushing that narrative for them. And I, I don't know whether that's ever been sort of wholly accurate. And and now we sort of hear today there's talk that, you know, the government is going to be in the UK is going to be reviewing status of various bodies, including the Arts Council, who have given me, you know, they've given me grants to make parts of this podcast to, to do writing. Um, and, and, and those, you know, things that they underwrite artistic risk grants like that in a way that you've got to understand anyone who goes into writing is who doesn't work the, 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 I'd say that the big divide between people working in the publishing industry and writers is that people working in the publishing industry are salaried right they they are getting their money uh paid into their account monthly uh, for doing their jobs writers are more like itinerant traders who come up to one port spend ages sort of they fill their they invest they pay money to like fill the uh their their the hold of their boat with various items that they think and hope are going to be in demand in the place that they end up and then they do this long ass journey that they might not even survive or make it through in the hope of turning up at this other port and then hopefully they'll find an audience to sell those goods to 
and they only get paid if that happens. If they don't, they've just spent a load of money. And the people who work in publishing, the editors uh, and the publicists and Pete and the booksellers, they're more like people who work at the docks. They're like they do import duty and they are people who basically facilitate all of this. They're in a kind of production role, but they get paid whatever. And... Um, and of course, then if, if, you know, to extend the metaphor, if some writers have done really well because they have inherited wealth or they're a celebrity, they've actually got more buying power so they can buy up stuff at one port um, and get a steep discount on it uh, because they've got more money to begin with. So they've got more bargaining power and then they rock up somewhere else. And then, you know, when they sell... They're more likely to get support because uh, because they're known to you know be a high volume trader, and then they can offer everything at a, di a, a, a discount. They can outplay the market. So I'm just describing the shittiness of capitalism here, but it like applies to writing uh, as a business. And this is why I don't really talk about the business side of writing so much on the podcast because, I, to be honest, I'm I'm still quite cynical about it. And I, I, you know, I get my hopes up every time I get a book out. But like the fact is, you're still playing into this system. And the moment I make billions out of selling a book, my attitude will completely change. I'm sure I will start telling you a self-serving na narrative of persistence and quality will out. But until then, look, it's just been rough. Like I've, I've done two weeks of this book coming out. I've done loads of media and there's still a little bit to come out. And um, it's been hard to go into bookshops and see that it's coward is not there on the shelves. Because booksellers don't necessarily have to support it. They just It's easier for them to buy in a couple of celebrity books celebrity memoirs instead and flog those it's easier for them to you know they just buy books that they think and it's not not unreasonable like too many books are published probably but it's hard to hear the thing oh well if your book sells they'll order some in and they'll put them on the shelves but it's like how does it sell if it's not in the shop well, people might come in and order it. Yeah, well, they might come in and do a lot of things, but like unless it's on the shelves for them to see, you know, I walk into bookshops and I see people looking around, taking stuff down on the shelves, like looking the book over. I'm like, that can't happen if the book isn't there. Like there is a reason why people pay for shelf space. There's a reason why like in WH Smith, right? WH Smith has got a, a chart from like, uh, you know, one to... Some of the bigger WH Smith stores in the UK are like 1 to 50 book chart. It's not a chart of a sales chart. It's a chart that publishers pay for books to be featured on. It's numbered, so it implies that it's a, just a reflection of sales, but it's not. It's shelf space that has been paid for by publishers. And you, and you increasingly go into bookstores now and places that aren't, exclusively bookstores but have a space devoted to books and like there'll be a children's section and 50% of it will be date like 50% of all the books available will be David Walliams in the UK a guy who was a celebrity who made his who became famous by being on TV 
doing comedy, right? And then maybe another quarter of it might be, I don't know, like J.K. Rowling. And then maybe there'll be a little bit that will be someone like, uh, maybe there'll be a few left in the corner. But then a, a lot of those might be someone like David Baddiel, another guy who just did TV and then said, I'll write a book. Um, I don't like him very much. I think he's a bit of a cunt. Sorry. <laughs> I actually read one of his first novels and I thought it was pretty well written. He wasn't bad. He wasn't bad at it at all. I just he, I just think he's such a prick. I, I, I think like the fact that you can go and go on national TV in blackface and then have the fucking cheek to write books lecturing people about what is and isn't racist and someone who made his career basically just being a misogynist professionally and yeah just like what a cunt <laughs> sorry I don't you normally use language like that but I, I just can't get over it and then J.K. Rowling, just an unrepentant transphobe, like, is just going down this, just going down the, the absolutely bananas gender critical pipeline of, I'm, you know, I'm not sure about this, says the, says the sort of like reasonable wealthy middle-class centrist just says i you know i've just got to i'm just asking questions and then a couple of months later like all that they tweet about and their entire life is devoted to is de devoted to like bigotry and hate and just using your entire platform to tweet about how the biggest threat to the world is apparently the existence of trans people and them having the audacity to ever make any basic requests <laughs> for any accommodation whatsoever. You know, let alone being respected and thriving. Because, you know, the, the I, I'm, and these are who... And then there's David Williams, who has literally gone on TV in blackface as well, like fairly recently as well. And these are the people that within the... If you're trying to write a children's book as a children's author, that's what you're up against. That's what... that Those are the people that the book industry are pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And they're spending money. They've got whole departments that are devoted to buying up shelf space buying up media space, making, paying for online adverts, pushing the brand. Why would you even fucking begin? How can we even talk about like diversity in publishing or children's publishing or children feeling that they're represented and seeing themselves in books when... And there are, look, I'm not erasing like all the great authors who have been 
finding success and i'm i'm sort of really glad for example to see the 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 sort of runaway success of a series like heartstopper i'm not i i'm not erasing all but those things are done despite these conditions not because they, they that never happens because the publishing industry has been lovely that's all happened despite that and there is still the floor is still massively tilted the 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 the, the stairs are still flattened for any newcomer i don't you know i don't write in the children's space so i hope you know i it can be clear that i'm not using this as a kind of proxy war for my own grievances i'm i'm sure some of that is informing it like i don't pretend for a moment to be some kind of uh, bastion of objectivity and purity. Of course, like I'm super knackered at the moment. And I just think I spent weeks and then I spent years working on a book and it's hard, right? It is hard to do that. And then just see, and then just come up against stuff and go, why the fuck do I bother? You know, I, I feel like I, I have felt some of that. Now, on the other hand, I've had great answers to why the fuck I bother because I've spoken to people as I go around. I have lovely support. I have people who listen to this podcast who send me the loveliest messages, the most sincere, open. I had someone who listens to the podcast come to one of my my gigs and give me this like amazing uh, illustration of, you know, I was going to say fan art, and I, I, I worry that that sounds like it's sort of like demeaning or derogatory. I don't mean it like that. I can't think of anything more wonderful and precious than someone doing artwork of something that only existed in my head. And I had this weird thing. They handed me the sort of like uh, on a postcard. And I, I, I thought because I saw there was a message on the other side, I thought maybe they wanted to say something, but they didn't feel able to. And they were handing it for me to read later. And I didn't want to. I hate it. I, I I hate the feeling of like opening a present in front of somebody, um, the sort of pressure to perform, um, to perform a response. And, and I thought I'll read it later. That's otherwise they would say. So. And then I like turned it over. I saw the picture and I, I sort of glanced it and I looked away. And then I looked at it again. I thought I feel like I recognise this scene. And then I was like, because it was so good the picture as well that I thought actually it was just a a bought like a like a postcard they bought but then i looked at the picture and i was like i feel like i reckon i've got a memory of this and then i was like and then like the memory is from my own imagination because this is a scene i've pictured in my head when i was writing the honors and now i'm seeing and, and i cannot tell you <laughs> the incredible like the reality crisis that one undergoes when you see a picture image in front of you of something that actually to you only exist in your head but of course i've written it down but then it's been translated by someone into another picture and i was like holy wait hang on is this is this and then realized that it was they'd done a picture and and, and that is everything actually something like that i don't wish to sound pathetically grateful but like that is like oh that's why i do this for the alchemy and magic because i care about stories and i want to hand them over to people my stupid stories you know i i feel like so much of the stuff i do is really dumb sometimes um when i'm not in a great place but then when something like that happens i go no it matters and it means everything to me i'm just like this is it i just wanted to tell a story and it 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 just and it land 
you know that you just send the message and it is heard and received and whether you write like a romance story right and and you get a response from a reader that is just like i devoured this and i was like will they won't they and i cared about it and that that bit like down by the lake like i was i was saying i was saying i was saying tell him tell him but he wouldn't say anything to him and i was and i wanted the two of them to talk and they wouldn't like 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 if someone does that and that was what you were trying to get across and you go yes or you write a sexy scene you write a, a great piece of it erotic fiction and someone was like this was so hot to me i mean i know that's like a bit difficult harder for people to sort of admit to or talk about but maybe you just read a review and someone it was a really steamy book and they loved it and they felt really turned on sorry i'm not great at talking about anything erotic whatsoever immediately uh so, so much happier like holding things with the kind of like oven, oven gloves of like technical jargon and things like that it deeply sort of i don't comes as a huge surprise to you i know i don't know my sort of persona on this podcast is sort of raw eros that's uh that's why i think everyone was so surprised when i came back with my autism diagnosis they're like tim well that's already exploded my stereotype of sort of like the because to me just like continually projecting this image of sort of like pure sexual charisma so how could this possibly be but like seriously like anything that you write whatever genre it's in or if you write like a memoir and it just like someone goes like i felt that and that you know i had that in my childhood or it reminded me or i saw myself in it finally that's the juice that's where it is that's i think one of the most validating experiences a human being can go through is to speak you know quote unquote your truth but tell a story tell your imagination create and have it be heard have it be understood and have it be loved to send that message and for the message to be received because maybe one of the things that plagues human being the mo- human beings the most is a feeling of loneliness and isolation and that can come you know people can be lonely in the middle of a city people can be lonely in a busy house people can be lonely in a marriage people can be lonely in a big family it's that feeling of that nobody gets you and nobody gets it and nobody gets what you go through and maybe it's your fault and this makes it particularly hard if you're someone who wants to write if the stories in your head and the things you want to write and the stuff you care about you feel like the world doesn't want to hear that's got to be tough and i didn't mean to use that phrase that's got to be tough as if i don't know what that feels like like sometimes i just sometimes it's hard when you feel like or you worry that the stuff you care about might just not be what most people care about or maybe you can't quite do it justice right that's tricky because there'll be a lot of creative writing advice for you and how to become a you know best-selling author and all this stuff 
that would just say like oh if you write from the heart and stuff it will you you know it will connect people who love it but actually like it depends what you love i've i i i've read and you know i've read stuff by i suppose people on the spectrum who care about and i don't want to sort of uh suggest either autistic exceptionalism which i sort of has become a real sticking point for me people talking about autism and then talking about some aspect of it that is just part of the human experience the continuum of being a normal human being and they talk about it like it's part of being autistic like i sometimes find i can't i can't always understand what 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 someone's feeling (laughs) it's just like have you read anything in the western canon of literature or not even in the western canon in the like in 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 romance of the three kingdoms there's like moments in the heart story that that turn on someone like miss interpreting like something that somebody else has said or someone lying like you understand that that is like fundamentally part of being a human being that all drama that we make like relies in part on human beings not always being able to understand what other human beings are thinking or feeling or what their motivations are that is a, just a thing we don't know like it, it, there may be aspects of it that if you're if you if you're neurodivergent in some way are harder for you in some situations but it's, it's by no means it's by no means just you like you don't have to feel so lonely or isolated by that because we're actually we're actually in a wonderful place where that's true of most of us you know and i still like believe in my heart and it's more like a piece of faith that actually all the things that seem to be just us or the, the things that divide us are actually what connect us like let's take another aspect of autism like masking for example this idea that we high you know that the, the autistic people it's very exhausting for them to be out outside around uh quote unquote normies because you're having to like put on all these neuro uh typical ways of behaving and acting and, and being uh, environments that were not made for you right that's the that's the orthodoxy of how we're supposed to think about autism but like actually the thing is that that experience is is true for so many people like who doesn't have different personas that they put on you know at work and at home who doesn't like get home You, you know you get back to your flat and you sort of take your emotional bra off and to a certain extent like some of the sort of like performance falls away and you make goofy noises to your cat and you kind of start like singing to yourself and you become a different person. To what extent is like every way that we behave a sort of constructed mask? And, and, and if you are, for example, I don't know, like if you if, if you're going to grow up in a sort of Christian majority education system or uh, culture and you're a Muslim or an atheist, like like to what extent does that require continual masking? If you are any kind of like minority um, uh, who is being expected to assimilate into a dominant culture, you know exactly what masking feels like if you are a if you are a boy who grew up around boys who all loved football and actually you didn't like football you liked learning the moves to like madonna and kate bush videos or you liked dungeons and dragons or learning how to program in basic you know what masking feels like. You know that you learn to hide those things deep, deep down. And either you pretend to like football or you just shut up. And there are probably some people who like, I'm sure it's true also that there are people who love football. Oh God, they just, it just, 
they live for it it makes them so happy and they care about their team and they care about the history and they have to shut up about it in certain circles because it's seen as a silly pursuit and it's looked down on as a working class pursuit and it's seen as not cultured and so they shut up about something they love we like these things that seem to divide us that we would see as being a sort of exceptional to one group are actually you know human fundamentals felt and experienced it it's sort of different degrees by different groups at different times and that's the i mean how lovely that i feel like i've actually come round to somewhere fairly positive which is like i fucking love stories and writing and our ability to kind of connect with different people and, and, and to put these things down and i know that the process of writing has been so valuable to me the process of creating coward and writing this book was it has transformed my life like it's what led to me the end of my panic attacks and i am less anxious than i was before and I worked a bunch of stuff out. And, it, and it, 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 at the moment, like, maybe the book is going to find an audience. And as people read it, they'll share it with other people. And maybe it will go on to have a reasonable life. I don't know. Like, it's been out like a week and a half. So, like, it's not a great sort of test of its... And it's only in hardback and ebook and audiobook. But, um, you know, it's early, I suppose it's early days. It wouldn't be... And it actually didn't do that badly in terms of sales in its first week. Like, it didn't make the top 10. But it didn't do badly either. Like, it had respectable first week sales. It's just a few shops that haven't had it. That before, when I've gone round, when the Honours and the Ice House came out, I could go around any shop in the UK and there'd be a copy in there or several and I could sign the stock. And that's not been true this time. And, and I think that just surprised me a little bit. And I, I don't want to keep, but I think I don't want to make people not want to become writers, especially people that we desperately need to become writers. But I think to do that, we have to actually support people. We have to campaign for a an industry and a world and a society that, you know, makes it possible for people to take fucking advice that's given to content creators and and, and and artists like about self-care like take some time make sure you rest and replenish who's fucking who's paying for this shit are you are you planning to you know i read a whole thread like very well written in its own way about like this is you know you're going to have to deal with a lot of rejection in your writing career and it's going to keep coming and there's you, there's no end to it because you can always potentially be rejected later down the line and it's like, you've got to understand rejection is not just a psychological thing unless you are independently wealthy, unless you have inherited wealth, unless you've got a, a wealthy partner or you've got another job, right? It's not just about like, oh, no, you know, my my artwork wasn't accepted. It's like, how the fuck do I pay the bills? How do I feed my children and keep a roof over my head? And if you're in the US, pay for healthcare, right? Because it, it's not just like, oh, keep going if you get rejected. Well, who's fucking paying for that, for me to do that? Like, it, it, this is something that would only occur to you if you don't have money. If either, you know, you're wealthy or you've had a couple of books that did really well, so you've got some savings. Actually, that's it's a lot more complicated than that. 
It's very fucking easy to say play the long game if you've got considerable financial reserves or low responsibilities. Now, what I tried to do on the podcast, I suppose, is I've, I've tried to put out like two free courses that give people access to what I hope is like high quality resources and, and learning materials that are based on, you know, I've got an MA in prose fiction. I, I've taught for years. I've taught every age from like reception classes up to PhD creative writing. I've got, I must have thousands of hours of teaching experience now. And I've tried to give that away for free and share it and, and push it out to people. Part of that funded by the aforementioned Arts Council. For that to be available for people to use. Um, because I think it's so important. Because there are just so many financial barriers to people make it finding the time to write. Just basic financial barriers. And that we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis under a, a, in the UK under a fucking incompetent government driven by a sort of bankrupt morally bankrupt and ideologically bankrupt positions who fundamentally are incompetent this is a thing that I you know, excuse me, I know this is is intrinsically about writing because the writer's always been afraid of and suspicious of anything but the most sentimental, trite forms of art. Um, but, like, fundamentally, if we, like, like the, the, the Tories in this country, they will... They push this idea that they're the, the kind of tacitly push the idea that they're the nasty party, right? But they're kind of nasty, but they're ruthless, and so they'll get the job done. So sometimes people vote for them, going, "Well, look, sometimes we might need like a tough hand, right?" The thing is, they're not that either. They're like fucking incompetent. They want you to think they're ruthless. They're not. They're incompetent promoted above their i mean this is not this is no great revelation you only have to look at any of them Pr promoted way above their station they're at best you know like a bunch of potterers who just kind of like have got no particular qualification for the position they're in apart from inherited generational wealth which there is a servile streak in the british character that bows down to inherited generational wealth these products of our public school system come out of it and imagine themselves having been groomed for this to be competent and they are not they're fucking idiots like i cannot emphasize i've sworn a lot on this episode i'm really sorry but the the ruling classes in this country are thick as pig shit <laughs> they really are they really are and it, and it blows my mind every time i forget it for a moment and then i'm like looking at them and i go now this this person is like you know these people are like there's there's avarice there but they're also like just fucking dumb they're like stupid and it's just i am always shocked anyway like i think like through making art and creating stuff 
we can connect with each other and we can remind ourselves especially when things look bleak especially when you kind of get caught up in the snare of what's going on in the world and you feel really grim it can just remind us that there are other human beings out there there are other people and it reminds you that other people are as real as you and it reminds you that there are like-minded people out there and it reminds you that there are kind and interesting and tenacious people out there and it reminds you that these little message in the messages in the bottles that you've been throwing out sometimes they find the person who needed to find it exactly the time that person needed it and that's an astonishing thing to have done as a human being and I don't say this just to big myself up I just think generally across the board if you can do that and you make this art and it goes out you can change the course of the world you know right I think I'm going to stop now because I'm probably going to say something I've probably said several things I, I regret I do apologize for my sort of my language and my rantiness on this episode next episode will be a scripted one and I'll do something a bit more um a bit more focused but thank you for listening if you would like to support me in the podcast one thing that you could do that I'd be delighted by is to follow the link in the show notes and grab yourself a copy of my new book about anxiety it's called coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it you can get it in hardback ebook and audiobook which is narrated by me all the way through uh, it's about my experiences with anxiety and panic and how I tried to get better it's got loads of science I hope it's uh, rigorously skeptical while being a bit funny and while having elements of usefulness it's not self-help it doesn't try to be self-help but I think that people who've been reading it have felt like they've been learning stuff with every chapter so there's a link in the show notes please if you want to support me if you think what i do on the show's good and you want to get something in return for supporting me but you also just want me to be able to continue my career i would so appreciate if you um click the link and went and got yourself a copy or got yourself uh, got a copy for somebody you care about and if you have got it and you enjoyed it leave a review and post about it and make some noise about it Thank you for that. Also, if you like the show and you want to drop me a few beans to help me keep the lights on, um, there's a link to my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. You can go on there and drop me a few bucks. And I use that to like pay for hosting costs and also for my website and things like that. Right. That is it. Thank you for listening. If you have listened to this far, if you have listened this far, then I, I hope you are on a run or something or are making brownies and i kept you company for that time but thank you um your self-indulgent will be the ruin of civilization uh but thank you very much and i wish you a wonderful week of writing <laughs>